Well, welcome to Grace Covenant Church. I'd like to thank Lydia for having the courage to share her profound story of overcoming the obstacle of cancer. And we look forward to hearing more of your stories as the year of 52 stories continues. So make sure if you have a testimony to share of God's faithfulness that you send that to us that you reach out and we would love to talk with you. We continue this morning in our series on the book of Jonah. This is week three of four. We're in chapter three of four, taking a chapter a week. So if you would open to chapter three in your Bibles. And before we launch out, can I just say that you may be aware our students lead us in worship once a month. Um, what you may or may not be aware of is that our worship leader called in. She was sick last night, couldn't lead. And so the two vocalists who led this morning did so with less than 24 hours notice. I think that is another level yet of faithfulness and ability. I started leading worship in college, and I don't think I ever attained the level of musicality that some of our juniors and seniors in high school have already attained. It's pretty cool to watch them flower in their giftedness. So with that said, uh, I will tell you a, a little bit about the city of Nineveh this morning and its inhabitants. Perhaps then you will understand why Jonah was reluctant to go there. I will first say that Nineveh was on the east bank of the Tigris River. If you'll recall what in my high school days was called humanities class, I'm not sure what it is called today. You'll perhaps be familiar with the Tigris and Euphrates, these twin rivers that run through the Middle East. And on the east bank of the Tigris River um, is what was one time the capital of the Assyrian Empire called the city of Nineveh. Today, it is in modern-day Iraq. It is just across the river from the city of Mosul, which became of national significance in 2014 when the city was seized by the Islamic State military. The Iraqi forces took the city back only a couple years later. In its day, Nineveh was considered one of the world's first one of the world's first large cities. If you take the greater Charlotte area, if you think from the north side of Concord to the south side of Gastonia, you're talking about roughly three million people. In uh, the ancient times, a city of several hundred thousand or a greater city of several hundred thousand was considered to be a monstrosity of a collection of people. And Nineveh was exactly that. Greater Nineveh, the city itself proper and its suburbs, was several hundred thousand people. And so roughly a quarter of the size of Greater Charlotte and particularly in the ancient world, still quite large. Nineveh was, Greater Nineveh was about 30 miles by 10 miles uh, it was the inner city about three miles by a mile and a half. And perhaps what was most impressive is that the walls of Nineveh, so think in terms of three miles by a mile and a half by 100 feet tall, the walls themselves, 
So a 10-story building, imagine seeing that for three miles by one and a half miles. That's pretty impressive. Uh, not only was it pref- uh, excuse me, not only was it impressive uh, via its height, it also would house chariot races on the top of the wall. And in its heyday, it could take races with four chariots wide. Now, I would think in this part of the country that NASCAR fans would give that a big round of applause. That's pretty impressive. Four chariots wide. Think of turns, right, with that level of competition. And so all to say this is a formidable city. The city itself, however, paled in comparison to the barbarism of its inhabitants. They were brutal people, ruthless. They were satiated by war. That was one of their favorite pastimes. In fact, Nineveh was said to have filled with the loot of nations that it had conquered. The Ninevites would snatch babies, if you could even fathom this, snatch babies from the mothers of the people that they were conquering and dash them to the ground. The Ninevites would capture POWs and bind them to stakes in the ground to to basically uh, peel them or skin them alive. The Ninevites would capture reputable warriors and impale them on poles, and they would take kings and they would hang them in large cages on the interior of the city for the residents to watch them die. Can you start to sense how Jonah may have rather boarded a ship (laughs) and taken his chances? In addition to all this, the people of Nineveh practiced every sin imaginable while shutting God completely out of their lives. This is all to say that the prophet Jonah was being asked to evangelize the people of Nineveh, not the people of Birkdale. There's a distinction. Would you agree? There's deference there. Civilized versus uncivilized. And still amazingly, God loved the people of Nineveh. God cared for them, even in the midst of their paganism. God loved them, and Jonah, after a bit of push and shove in chapters 1 and 2, finally goes to them with a very strong message to quit sinning and turn from their sin. And if they did, God would forego the destruction of their city. So I'm going to read chapter 3 to you now. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many of you are glad that God came to you a second time after your obstinance, after your disobedience? Amen? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So Jonah this time, the second time, obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city taking three days to go through it, and Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh, what? Will be overthrown. And the Ninevites, this is shocking. This is shocking. They believed God. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good preaching. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So they're mourning their own state. They're penitent of heart. They're sorrowful for what they've done. And when Jonah's warning reached the king, we would think the next verses would say, he came to slit Jonah's throat. But that's not what we read. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation the king issued in the city of Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. He's ordering a fast from a non God-fearing society. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's darn good preaching. (laughs) This is shocking. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. (laughs) Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. So did they listen to the king or no? Yes, they did. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened I don't know about you, I think that's pretty cool. I think it's cool that a relatively unreached people group would be moved by the power of God. Ultimately, Jonah was a willing vessel and respond by by taking a 180. We sang a song this morning where we talked about turning from sin and our worship leaders turned around fully. But to take a 180 and go the opposite direction, from licentious living, the opposite direction from gore, the opposite direction from oppressing their neighbors, and to submit to God and his ways. This is considered by many to be the greatest, hear this, the greatest historical revival of all time. Several hundred thousand people. It's, it's a remarkable time in history. I will tell you, that we can't lose the significance of this because it was brought about through the hesitancy of a man who tried to be someplace else. And in chapter 1, we see him running away from who? God. In chapter 2, we kind of laid it out this way, we saw him running back to God. Today we're going to see him running with God, which is a great place to be. Church family, if you have been reluctant to live a life that honors the king of all kings, if you've had qualms with God, if you've demonstrated a a nagging misgiving or uncertainty about God's love for you, his plan for you, his use of you, you are just like Jonah. And you know what? 
God came to Jonah a second time. And God will come to you a second time, friend. And God will come to you a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time, asking that you be obedient and follow him. I just pray that you respond as Jonah did. I pray that it doesn't take a big fish swallowing you and being in its belly for a part of three days. I don't know that God is going to be that clear with everyone. I hope you hear his still quiet voice, the voice of the shepherd, inviting you into communion with himself. Amen? Jonah was instructed to speak the message that God gave him, and eventually he obliged. It was not a foo-foo, mushy, gushy message, a feel-good message. We see a lot of those in pulpits today. I will tell you that you can grow a church fast on a feel-good message. All you have to do is not preach about sin. All you have to do is not tell people that they must repent and turn back from God. Understand, Jonah's message wasn't benign and contemplative. Jonah's message was harsh. Jonah's message was to the point. Jonah's message was rather monotonous, to be honest. He simply said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Turn to God. And they did. That was it. There was no pomp and circumstance. He didn't have an introduction. He didn't have a conclusion. He didn't even have three points. <laughs> in fact, he had one point, and boy, did it bring results. From the lowest citizen to the king, there were expressions of fear of God and of repentance and heart transformation and, and change. What would it look like in our city, in greater Charlotte, if from the holders of menial jobs to teachers and law enforcement to the owners of large companies, were they to be replete and brimming with repentance? if their hearts truly turned to the Lord, what would it look like in North Charlotte if we were awash in people getting right with God? Jonah's message was heeded. What if our words to our friends and coworkers and family members about Jesus about following Jesus was heeded? What if the whole region got saved because we were no longer unwilling like Jonah, but became willing like Jonah? See, what's really interesting is that roughly 800 years later, Jesus would come along and draw a parallel. He would use Nineveh to illustrate a point. Jesus had preached to his generation for some three years and had reinforced his own message with miracles and shock and all ministry. And the Ninevites simply heard one sermon from one person. And they all repented. And Jesus made the point, Jews, you've been listening to me, observing signs and wonders for three years. 
And you've still not quit running to sin and away from God and turned to running away from sin and to God. What is it going to take for your heart to transform? Jesus said directly, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and they'll condemn it. Barbaric men. Men who from, from the, their, their day of birth have neglected and rejected God and they'll stand in heaven in judgment of this generation as holy, righteous followers of God. And Jesus says, will you too? Oh, religious among us. He says, now one greater than Jonah is here. Chapter one, running away from God. Chapter two, running to God. I decided that this morning, since Jonah was one preacher with one point, that I would be one preacher with one point. So I'm going to give you one point to write down this morning. This is really going to bother all the note takers in the room (laughs) for whom the number three is holy and sacred. But at the risk of you going home, not feeling like you've been to church this morning, and in the spirit of the prophet Jonah, here's my one point. Run with God. It is all you get this morning. Jonah's message was simple. My message is simple. Run with God. Not against God, not away from God, but with him. You know you're running with God when you've surrendered to his plan. Think about it from the very beginning. God had a plan for Jonah to go where? To Nineveh. Instead, he goes to Joppa and boards a boat for Tarshish. It was God's plan in chapter 1. It was God's plan in chapter 2. It's still God's plan in chapter 3. The plan never changed. Jonah changed. God's plan for you has never changed. You have an opportunity to change and follow what God has asked you to do. In chapter 1, Jonah had not surrendered to God's plan for his life. By chapter 3, Jonah had surrendered and did obey the voice of God. The difference is in the word surrendered. Such a key word for the Christian life. That means God has some stuff for you to do should you surrender to him should you make it about his life and not your life sadly many of the things God intends to do through people will never be accomplished why because they're not running with God they're running away from him they have not surrendered to him yet. 
If you still haven't surrendered to the Lord, let me ask you this question this morning. Do you somehow imagine in your mind that God would orchestrate something bad for you? Do you think God would align the stars so that something distasteful would come about if you simply did what he said? Of course not. I've told you before, God is not a killjoy. God's desire is to kill the things that rob us of our joy. Are you running with God this morning? God has our best interests at heart. He's not out to hurt us. He's out to help us. God doesn't derail. He directs. His will, amen, is not something to run from. His will is something to run toward. And passionately so. You say, but I don't know what God wants me to do, pastor. I don't know God's will for my life. It's been something that's been quite an enigma for me. I would say that's not exactly true. Why? Where has God primarily revealed himself to mankind? Through his word. What do we read without going anyplace else that God's will is for us in his word? We read that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We read that we're to defend orphans and widows and immigrants. We read that we're to tell people about Jesus, to preach the gospel to all nations. We don't have to go far in here before we can start ascertaining what it is that God is asking us to do and where it is that God is asking us to go. My question for you is, are you being obedient to the things that God has already asked of you in his word? You don't have to look for something new today. Just honor what God has already said. You know you're running with God when you're willing to speak for God. God didn't just call Jonah to go, did he? God called Jonah to speak, to be God's spokesperson. And throughout the ages, glory to God, the Lord has lined up people to continue to use the foolishness of preaching the gospel for the salvation of many. The gospel is foolish, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved is the gift of God. I am so grateful that last week an individual who was reflecting on the idea of self Harm received a great deal of hope from the foolishness of preaching the gospel. I'm so grateful that a few weeks ago in Wednesday night church, junior and senior hires, 18 of them, Gen Zers, 
lifted their hands to receive Christ as Savior and Lord through the foolishness of preaching the gospel. It's important for us to remember we're not just called to go, we're called to go and tell. We're called to proclaim Jesus' message, not our own message. St. Francis of Assisi is perhaps most famous for saying these words, preach the gospel every day, and if necessary, use words. I get what he was saying, but I take issue with its incompleteness. Yes, we ought to live out the words that we speak with, with actions, right? It's, James tells us it's not just words, it's deeds. So it does matter that we're not hypocritical, but it also matters that we speak the gospel to people who are still lost. We can't get away with just doing we can't get away with just fresh water and just, just hospitals. Although I envy and think the Presbyterians and Catholics have done a much better job at such things than us evangelicals. But we must also preach the goodness and forgiveness of Christ everywhere we go. We're called to preach a message of repentance. And you might say, that's one thing I know, frankly, Zach, that I'm not called to do. I'm not a preacher. I'm not called to vocational ministry. You're, you may be right, but God still asks you to speak for him. God wants everyone to go and tell of his love for the world. We just don't get the opportunity to live lives hoping that people will put two and two together. That's not an option for us. You might say, again, I, I'm called not to do that, Zach, and the delivery of that message, I will tell you, it's just not limited to pastors. Let me tell you this. Can you imagine... Um, I cannot possibly come into contact with as many people as we can corporately. Our staff, our elders, our council cannot possibly come into contact and rub shoulders with and network with and ultimately preach the gospel to but a fraction of people that we can as a family as a church who takes the request of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel seriously. I'll tell you this. There is a guy who attends this church. And in the event that you may not be willing to walk across the proverbial room and witness to your neighbor, I would say that lower-hanging fruit is just to open up and tell your testimony. This guy does that. He shares his testimony. How many of you may be uncomfortable talking about a Savior who lived 2,000 years ago, died brutally on the cross, rose again, the only one to have ever done it, unassisted for our salvation for us, traded himself, his righteousness, his peace 
for our ugliness, our depravity on a hunk of wood. Now, you might be uncomfortable sharing that, but what you can do is say, here's what friend Christ has done for me, like Lydia in her story, and here's some even lower-hanging fruit that this individual in our church specializes in. He invites people to church. Did you know that even if you're uncomfortable presenting the gospel, which I hope you grow comfortable with in time, even if you're unwilling to tell your story, which I hope you grow beyond comfortable with, you may be green. Here's something you can do. This is the lowest hanging fruit to evangelism. Invite somebody to church. Just say, hey, will you come and sit with me? I'm bored. <laughs> the preacher's terrible. Just give me some company. Just help me out. It'll make it go faster. David LaRusso is the guy's name. He kind of reminds me of Karate Kid. Because Karate Kid's name was Daniel LaRusso. He's right, sitting right here. I'm going to be honest, David. Every time I see you, I just want to do this. Now, if you were raised in the 80s and 90s, you know exactly what I'm referring to. If you're a Gen Zer or a millennial, forgive me for that irrelevant motion. David teaches ESL, English as a second language. David himself knows six languages, Spanish, English, Portuguese, German, Italian, and perhaps most impressive, Mandarin Chinese. David, when he meets people from other countries through ESL, he invites them to Grace Covenant. It is nearly every Sunday. David must be brothers with the Holy Spirit because he's like the hound of heaven. And he just tracks me down across the church and he just introduces me to everybody that he brings with him to grace. It's just amazing. It blows my mind. A number of people that David have invited to church attended our first ever Grace International meeting a week and a half ago. Perla Ledoux, who is from Chile, is leading this group. Perla is not French, but she married a guy from Louisiana, <laughs> which was colonized by French Canadians. So there you go. He has this wife whose maiden name is Gonzalez, and, or excuse me, Contreras, not to be confused with Gonzalez, and is now a Ledoux. So let me share with you a communication I received from Perla last week. I didn't even ask your permission to do this, but it's really positive. <laughs> Based on, in large part, David's faithfulness. Grace International team, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. On September 13th, 2023, we had our first Grace International gathering. Thank you, Jesus. And thanks to each of you for playing a role and having a part in getting this group and ministry going. The Lord sees you and he rewards everything we do as work for him. 
It was such a beautiful time. We had people representing Vietnam, Japan, China, Jamaica, Ghana, Kenya, Italy, Malaysia, Taiwan, and Chile, and our beautiful host country, United States of America. More people than we expected came, and we had to bring in several extra chairs. We had snacks. We heard a testimony. That's a story of God's faithfulness. We heard testimony. Had a wonderful time getting to know each other, and we closed up with a rich, sweet time of prayer for each other's needs, followed by, this is my favorite part, raising our voices in our native languages in praise to the King of Heaven. What a glorious glimpse of the life that is to come. The Lord was in that place. He was with us. Please let us continue to invite people we get to meet in our church and community. Let me know if you'd like to share a story of God's work in your life. Pray and the Lord will show you what to share that will encourage the faith of others. Let's keep praying for Grace International and for those that came and will come. Thank you again. God bless you all. Together in Christ, Perla Ledoux. David and Perla are people who understand that it's not enough to go to Nineveh. You have to preach while you're there. You know you're running with God when you yield into his power. Note takers, you may or may not have noticed this, but I have given you a single point with three subpoints. <laughs> I didn't want anybody leaving the church over this. You know you're running with God when you've surrendered to His plan, when you're willing to speak for Him, and when you yield to His power. Jonah spoke truthfully to the Ninevites, and after that, it was out of Jonah's hands. He yielded to God's power. It was between Nineveh and God. Jonah yielded to God. Notice what happened. Because Jonah surrendered and because Jonah spoke, God's power, not Jonah, God's power moved a whole city to repentance. God moved from the greatest to the least people to true heart transformation and change. And, and change. The king exchanged his royal robe and his throne for sackcloth and ashes because he was sorry for what he'd done under the sight, God sees all, of a holy God. Because of the city's repentance, God then spares the city. I think it's a remarkable story. Did all this happen because of Jonah? Nah, not really. Jonah became a usable vessel through whom God did his awesome, powerful work. D.L. Moody once famously said, the world has yet to see what God can do through one man or woman who is totally committed to him. The revival at Nineveh shows us what God can do with a frail human instrument who is willing to proclaim God's 
message. I don't know if you heard the story of a young man who forever resisted the call of God on his life. Forever, since he was little, he was obstinate and rebellious and didn't yield to the Holy Spirit. Finally, God gripped a hold of him and transformed his heart, and he started telling people about Jesus. His story would become most well-known because one of the first people he led to Christ was Billy Graham. You never know what's going to happen if you tell somebody about Jesus. I hope we become a church family who runs with God. I'll tell you, Jonah's message, to be honest, wasn't fun to communicate. If you think about it for a moment, Jonah's message proclaimed God's judgment on those who are in wrongdoing. Sometimes we, the church, have forgotten to remind people that just as much as God loves them, God hates continued wrongdoing. God, his stomach just cannot tolerate our wickedness but for so long. And that's not fun to tell people. In fact, I would suggest if you tell people that, that you communicate it, amen, with the greatest level of prayerful tenderness and care. You do not want people to walk away thinking you are mean-spirited and judgmental, but that you love them and therefore must speak gently and truthfully their need to turn to Jesus. God doesn't wink, is what I'm saying, at sin. But God does forgive when he encounters a repentant heart. Would you bow your head this morning? And if our prayer team would come, would there be anybody here who would say, I've ran from the Lord, I've been a Jonah. I've not listened to what God has persistently been communicating and I need to do a 180 and instead of running away from God, I need to run to him today. If that's your desire, would you just lift your hand so I can see a raised hand? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? I want to run toward God. Wonderful. Awesome. Would there be anybody else here? Wonderful. Great. Anybody else here who would say, I just need to become a person who tells? I've become too comfortable and I need to be courageous in sharing the good news of Jesus with my neighbors, my coworkers, and my friends. Would you raise your hand this morning? Awesome. Lord, I pray first for the former group today who has admitted, who is confessing, Lord, the sin of not listening to you, of going in the opposite direction of your calling, your shepherding, your way. 
Lord, would you heal them? Would you save them? Would you help them once and for all to turn to you and decide to follow Jesus with no turning back? Lord, would they be consistent in the days ahead? And Lord, I pray too for those who are in a series, a time of lackadaisical, comfortable Christian living. Lord, those who are lousy fair about your kingdom and the truth that you're coming back soon, Lord, would you spark a revival in us? Lord, would you help us not only to live in a way that's honoring to you, but to tell in a way that's honoring to you. Lord, I thank you for the person who came up to me after in the first service and said, I'm meeting someone to buy an item from Facebook Marketplace, and I'm convinced that I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus this afternoon. Lord, would you grace that conversation? Lord, would you help that person of Hindu faith to come to you to welcome the king of all kings into her life? Lord, and would you give us courage and strength to tell? In Jesus' name, amen.